thinking about uh, this morning. I've been putting this sermon together, and this morning, a song from my childhood flooded back in, all right? You may have had this song sung to you by your mama or maybe a grandmother or something. If you know it, join me. Where is Pointer? Where is Pointer? Here I am. Here I am. How are you today, sir? Very well, I thank you. Run. Run. Anybody? How many of y'all are familiar with that song, right? Okay, there's a couple of you. There's others that are like, man, what planet did you come from, dude? Seriously. Well, well, you know, as I was growing up, there were a lot of the songs that were sung to me or taught to me, either in school or in church, that were not just songs, but they had hand motions to them. It's something about hand motions that takes the words and makes them easier to understand and digest. It makes it just simple for us to, to get to. Hands. Have you ever thought about your hand? I mean, we take our hands for granted, don't we? I mean, until maybe we lose them or, or, or something, they're just there. Take a moment and look at your hand, the uniqueness of it. You see the lines? Maybe there's calluses. Maybe there's unique characteristics in your hands. Maybe there's markings, perhaps even scars. Maybe you've got some arthritis and your fingers are beginning to bend or twist. The human hand. There's 29 bones and 29 joints, 123 named ligaments, 34 muscles, 48 named nerves, 30 named arteries. All right there. You know, if I, if I was a wise man and, and really a good planner, I would have somebody up here on stage right now and they would be doing artistic work drawing a hand just so that you would have that visual to go along with this sermon. Because if you think about it, this hand and your hand is marvelous. It's actually a miraculous feat of d- divine engineering. Back in December, I had the privilege of holding my dad's hand as he died. And as he was dying, I observed the age spots on his hand, the wrinkles, that crooked finger that was from an old baseball injury when he was younger. As I looked at his hands, I reflected on what those hands had done and the things they had been through. My dad's hands told quite a story. Anybody remember the the song by the Judds years ago, Daddy's Hands? Daddy's Hands. Forrest Gump said that Mama... Mama always said there, there's an awful lot you could find, tell about a person by their shoes, where they were going, where they've been. You know, no disrespect to Forrest Gump's mama, but I think the same could be said about hands. You could find out where people had been, what they'd been through, maybe get a clue to where they were going. T- today we get this amazing privilege to come to the table and celebrate communion and as I was thinking about celebrating communion, I was reminded of a place in Scripture in Luke 24 where there was this encounter after the resurrection. Jesus had, had been raised from the dead, and yet there were a couple of the disciples that were unaware. And they were walking on their way to Emmaus, and they, they, were, they were going, and they were pondering, and they were puzzled, and they were troubled. And, and in the midst of their conversation, Jesus sidles up next to them on the way. And he begins to ask them, what, what are you talking about? What's going on? 
And they said, are you the only person in this area that doesn't know what's happened here? How, how Jesus, this, this prophet, powerful and, and miraculous, was crucified and, and died? Do you not know what's going on here? And, and Jesus began, the, the, the Scripture says, starting in Moses and the prophets, He began to explain to them everything in the Scriptures concerning Himself. And yet they didn't recognize who He was and who was with them on the way. They, they come to a place and, and the disciples are going to stop for the night and Jesus acts like He's going to go on and they beg Him to stay with them. And so He acquiesces, He accepts their invitation. And the Bible says in Luke 24, starting in verse 30, it says this, And when He was at the table with them, He took bread and He gave thanks and He broke it and He began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized Him and he disappeared from their sight. It makes me wonder, was there something about Jesus' hands that gave him away? Up to that point, they, they didn't recognize who he was, but, but there was something. Maybe it was the way he handled the bread in a very uh, familiar manner. Maybe there was something about the shape of his hands. I don't know, maybe he had a double-jointed thumb that was unmistakable. Maybe there was another birthmark there. Or, or maybe... When he broke the bread, maybe his robe slipped down and they were able to see the nail prints. Whatever it was, the Bible said they recognized him after he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. That's when they realized it was Jesus. It seems to me they noticed who it was when they saw his hands. In John chapter 20, this would have been shortly after this instance, Jesus meets with the entire group of the disciples except for Thomas. They were locked away in an upper room for fear of the Jews. And, and, and all of a sudden, without warning or without notice, Jesus is standing there in the room with them. And they're startled. And He speaks a word of peace over them. He's like, peace be still. Peace be unto you. And John twenty twenty says this. After He said this, He showed them His hands and His side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. He showed them His hands. And they recognized and rejoiced. So what is it about Jesus' hands that are so noteworthy? You ever stop to think about it? I want to speak to you this morning. Just I want to give you four thoughts, four ideas that, that I think will give us some insight into His hands. But I also think it will give insights into who He was and what He did and why we can trust Him. Well, first off, if you think about it, Jesus' hands are Creator hands. Have you taken a moment recently to enjoy one of our amazing sunsets? The colors, the splendor, the clouds, just the way heaven and earth come together and the light explodes? Have you taken a moment to gaze at the stars, the constellations, you taking a moment to feel the gentle sea breeze or to listen to the surf and the birds chirping at water's edge? I mean, we could go on and on and on about the things, but have you taken a moment to just enjoy the creation? You know who's responsible for that? The Creator. Isaiah 48, 13 says this, My own hand laid the foundations of the earth, and my right hand spread out the heavens. You say, well, that's Old Testament, Steve. That would have been God that would have said that. 
Well, let me remind you what it says in the first chapter of John. That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. You see, the one that was there at the beginning, this Jesus that we celebrate and that we're talking about today, He was there at the beginning, He was with God, He was God, and and the Bible says very specifically that with Him, everything that was made was made by Him, and without Him, nothing would have been made. Everything we see and know and enjoy has come from His hand. You see, without a Creator, there is no creation, right? And what that says to me is the fact that since He had Creator hands, that Jesus is God. That's significant for us. That what makes Jesus' hands so set apart is they weren't just any man's hands. They were the very hands of God. But they were also carpenter's hands. Mark chapter 6, Jesus is in His hometown and He's preaching and He's teaching. And and all of His home folk are blown away. And they say to themselves in verse 3, Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph? And and Judas and Simon, aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him because here was this lowly carpenter up here teaching these amazing things of God with power and authority. We know history tells us that Joseph, Jesus' father, earthly father, was a carpenter by trade. It makes perfect sense that his children would follow along in the family business. And the word used here that that we read as carpenter can also be translated as laborer or craftsman. It's more of a generic term to describe a range of of possible skills and and job opportunities or specialties. It's not just a carpenter who builds houses, but, but maybe someone who builds tables or chairs. As a laborer or a craftsman, Jesus' hands would have no doubt been rough and rugged and strong. Do you remember the old pictures of Jesus that used to hang up in churches? And we had one at my house. Jesus had red hair. I don't know where in the world that artist got that. But he had red hair and it was long and lengthy. looked like he had shampooed with Breck. And, and, you know, he had the curls and everything going on. And everything about that picture screams, this is a man with soft hands. But I I dare to to disagree with that. I believe he had rough and rugged, strong hands. Hands that knew splinters and blisters and calluses. I believe they've they've seen a scar or two. Maybe his joints ached because of all the, the repetitive labor that he had done. Maybe, just maybe, he had lost a fingernail or two from when he smashed it with a hammer. Just kind of a parenthetical side. What did Jesus say when he smashed his thumb with a hammer? You know? Ah, me! Or something like that. I don't know. It it just kind of begs, begs the question, doesn't it? But he had carpenter hands. Why would I say that? Well, if you've ever looked at a handyman, a construction worker, a day laborer, their hands tell the story of their work, don't they? My Uncle Charlie was a mechanic when I was growing up. And I was always fascinated by Uncle Charlie's hands because they would be clean, but because he had been a a mechanic so long, he always had grease-stained hands. And they were rough 
and scarred from years of hard work. And he was missing part of a finger. His hand screamed hard labor to me. A man who, who worked with his hands and, and made an honest day's wage for an honest day's work. Jesus was a carpenter. He had carpenter's hands, so, so no doubt his hands would show the wear and tear of his trade. Isn't it awesome that, that our Jesus, this creator God who had creator hands to say, I'm God, would also have carpenter hands to make it very clear that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, creator hands say He's God. Carpenter hands tell us He's man. And this God-man was all about building and creating. He, he built the universe and everything we see, and then He came as a man, and then demonstrated to us by building what would be His kingdom, His church. And we talked about it recently that He didn't give us a blueprint for a brick-and-mortar church. He gave us a blueprint for changed lives, for, for folks that would be just like you and, and me, that would change the world. He was a creator, but He was a carpenter. But even though he had those well-worn, all-powerful hands, those hands were quite tender and gentle because my Jesus had caring hands as well. There's numerous places in the gospel where we see evidence of his caring and compassionate touch. I'll just give you a few examples, okay? Luke chapter 7, he's coming into a town called Nain and he interrupts a funeral procession. A young man had died leaving his mother, who was a widow, with no one. And she was weeping. Verse 13, when the Lord saw her, the Bible says, his heart went out to her. There's the compassion. There's the care. And Jesus said to her, don't cry. The Bible in verse 14 says, he went up and he touched the coffin that they were carrying this young man on. And the bearers stood still. And he said to the young man, I say to you, get up. And the dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Caring, compassionate touch restores this man to life. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is going through all the towns and villages. He's teaching in the synagogues. He's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And He's healing every disease and sickness. Verse 36, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Caring compassion, healing touch. Matthew 20, verse 30 and following. There were two blind men sitting by the roadside, and when they heard Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and tried to get them to, to quiet down, but they shouted all the more. Jesus stopped and He called them. What do you want me to do for you, He asked. Lord, they answer, we want our sight. Verse 34, Jesus had compassion on them and He touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight and followed Him. Well, we could go on and on and on because there were many examples where Jesus blessed little children or He break, broke bread for multitudes, where He turned water into wine, where He's lifting Peter up out of a stormy sea, where He's touching the untouchable. The Bible says He healed lepers. You know what that means? These people that no one else would touch, Jesus had compassion and He cared for them and he, and he touched them so that the leprosy would flee. He liberated demon-possessed captives and He mended broken lives, all with a compassionate heart and caring hands. 
I love the fact that Jesus was a creator and He existed from, from before the beginning of time with the Father. But He wanted to be up close and hands-on with His creation. So He came and became a carpenter. And that wasn't enough. He wanted to get involved with His people. He wanted to get hands-on with them so that He could touch them with caring hands. So that they might know the power of the kingdom and that this was real and not just a theory. And lastly, because He was caring and because He was a God-man, it led Him to having, number four, crucified hands. You see, humanity has a sin problem. Romans 3.23 tells us, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It goes on in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that, to tell us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. And there is nothing we can do on our own to obtain this gift. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There, there's no righteousness that we can manufacture to get it for ourselves because the Bible tells us that our best attempts, our righteousness is as filthy rags. No, it was going to take a perfect sacrifice to get us made right with God. And while God gave Moses the law and said, here's who I am and this is what I expect, there's no way that we could live up to the law or live into the law, right? I mean, the more I try, the, the more I fail to, to keep up what the law said. That's why it was important for God to send a sacrifice, a substitution, one that was perfect in every way, a lamb unblemished. Because the Bible tells us that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. And so Jesus, this God-caring, compassionate man, came to serve as our substitute. Romans 5.8, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus' mission was all about reuniting God and man. He, he wanted to take that relationship and restore it because of the sin that had severed it. Adam and Eve walked in perfect intimacy with the Heavenly Father there in the garden. I, I wonder, and the image I get is not just that they walked together, but that they walked hand in hand. There's that special kinship, that special love that comes with that connection. And because of their sin and the choices they made, it broke that intimacy, that closeness, that hand-in-hand -hand relationship they had. And Jesus wanted to come and make a way for us to walk with God again. So Psalm 22 tells us, He allowed His hands and feet to be pierced for our iniquities. Truly, His body was given and His blood shed so we could have a way back to the Father. And my Bible tells me, Romans 10, 13, Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not for those that get it right. It's not for the ultra-religious. It's for those that know they're struggling, that, that know they've stumbled, that know that they will never be able to obtain this free gift of salvation. And so they just call on Jesus and accept what His Creator hands, His carpenter hands, His caring hands, and His crucified hands have done. And they call out on Him and the hands of Jesus come and embrace them and adopt them into the Heavenly Father's family. Isn't that good news today? As we come to that table, we're coming back and being reminded 
that Jesus' hands are extended in an invitation to us to come and dine. Come and, and eat with me. Come and receive me. Come and embrace me so that all that I've done with my hands can be applied to your life. Do you need healing today? It's available. Do you need forgiveness? It's here. Do you need God to step in and and wipe away the garbage and the junk that's happening in your life so that you can be back in that right relationship? It's available today. And I love the fact that when Jesus gets us back in the fold, He says, listen, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forget you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm with you even to the end of the age. That's, That's my commitment to you. Back in Isaiah 49, I love this this scripture. I've loved it for a long time. It has even greater meaning for me today. The the Israelites were were complaining that God had forgotten them as they had been cast out of the promised land and as they were spread to the four winds of the earth. And and they're out there and they're struggling and, and they just don't know what to do. And God says, listen, I've not forgotten you. I have engraved you on the palms of my hand. You know, my God, I don't know about you, but my God has tattoos. My hand doesn't, but His does. And it's my name, and it's your name, and it's each and every person whose name is written in the Lamb's book of life. It's also written there for Him to remember us and not to forget us. And and here's another powerful scripture out of John chapter 10. There's no one that can snatch you from my hand, my God says. Yeah, we may face an enemy, but he's a defeated foe. And the salvation that Jesus bought and paid for is good. And it's not going to be repossessed or taken away from you. It's all good. Jesus said, no one's taking you out of my hand. You know, when you think about it, the hands of Jesus are pretty significant, aren't they? Never really given much thought to them until recently. But then as I thought about it, I started thinking even deeper. There's something significant about Jesus' hands. But He went back to be with the Father and He said, I send the Holy Spirit with you. And so now it's all of this that I've done, it's now your turn. You are my plan to reach the world. You are the ones that are to be the compassionate hands extended to the world. And Jesus said in, in the book of John, greater things than these will you do because I go to my Father. So, so Jesus not only saying, you're my hands, but you're going to do greater works than I've already done because of my Spirit that's within you. Did you get that? We are now His hands. Back during World War II, a church in Strasbourg, Germany was totally destroyed except a statue of Christ which stood by the altar. It was basically unharmed, but it had the hands of Jesus blown off. When they rebuilt the church, a famous sculptor offered to make new hands and place them on this sculpture. But after considering the matter, the members decided to let it stand as it was, without hands. And they put a little placard up that reads... Christ has no hands but your hands to do His work on earth. If we don't feed the hungry or give drink to the thirsty or entertain the stranger or visit the imprisoned or clothe the naked, who will? Christ is depending on us to do the very things which He did upon the earth. Church, those who have benefited from the hands of Jesus and what He has done for you and in you, 
You are now His hands. What are you going to do? Today as we come up for Holy Communion, I hope that you'll do some business with God.